Hello, this is Pastor Gordon Runyon from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tucumcari, New Mexico. I'm pleased to present to you this recording of a session at our Freedom Conference 2016. Our featured speaker was Mr. Bojidar Marinov. May you be richly blessed as you listen. Amen. All right, so from our last lecture, we saw that an executive government is an idolatrous government. It's not a biblical government. Every time preachers preach from the pulpits that any of these institutions that are executive institutions, not institutions that punish criminals, but institutions that control non-criminal individuals, every time preachers do that from the pulpit and say you've got to obey those institutions, these preachers are basically preaching idolatry. I've got to say it. It is idolatry. Because there's nothing in the Bible that supports any concept of an executive state of man ruling over other men. This is the theology of Nimrod. This is the religion of Nimrod, of a mighty man who controls other men. This is not the faith of the Bible where the head of every man is Christ. <clears throat> so what is the biblical government? We saw that the biblical government in Romans 13, and I want to read that verse, because many times you will hear that uh, you will hear those verses read in a light that is that is anti-biblical. Romans 13, and I'm speaking about chapter 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. And again in verse 4. Uh, if you do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not a sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. Now this pretty much explains to us what a biblical government is supposed to be and what biblical government is described in the law. We only need government as a servant. And we need the government as a servant only when there is some violation of the law. And that violation of the law must be specifically declared to be a crime in the law of God. Because there are some violations of the law that are, that are sins, but they are not crimes. Can we have hatred in our hearts? Oh, sure. You know, I mean, we're all haters, one way or another. I mean, go ahead, admit it. I mean, every time, every time a spouse does something that, 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 that you know, somebody does and his spouse doesn't like, you know, his wife doesn't like, or, or her husband doesn't like, there is just a little grain of hatred. And I'm not trying to tell you you always have to, you always have to examine your heart deeply, you know, to say, okay, now I committed to big sin. I know that God, you know, uh, that God sanctifies our hearts. But we got to admit, we always go into that little thing every now and then. But it's not a crime. It's not something the government should be worried about. You know, children are disobedient to their parents, but we don't expect the government to, 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 to get in and spank your children. I mean, what are you going to do if the government comes to your house and says, I want to spank your children? You're going to shoot that government, right? That's what you're supposed to do, biblically. I mean, you may want to put in your body all kinds of substances that will make you intoxicated or even kill you. But that's not a crime. 
you know, trading in those substances and having those substances in your body must be a sin and your pastor should be preaching to you against them but your government is not supposed to do anything about them because your government is not a god. Your government is not supposed to control your heart. So, uh, the biblical government is only a judicial government. That means when you commit something against somebody else, that is a crime according to the biblical law. Plus, one more condition. There are two witnesses to it. And you can't be one of those witnesses. The criminal can't be one of those witnesses. Because when the criminal is one of those witnesses, it justifies what American government is doing on the battlefield now, and that is torture. I don't care what Fox News says about it, to be honest. The, the Bible specifically denies the right of you taking information from somebody else by applying pain. We have become such a pagan nation, you wouldn't believe. We justify torture. Anyway, I, I don't want to go into that. <clears throat> but the only government that we're allowed to have is judicial government, the courts. America was like that before. America, when America was started, we didn't have any executive government. We had only the courts and the servants of the courts. He had the local judge, and the local judge was the highest authority in the land. And he was only active, and he was actually not even a professional judge. Most of those judges were just, you know, people that had their business. They would just go to the courthouse when there was a case that they had to, to, uh, to decide. And basically, they weren't even deciding the case because we had also the jury system, which we today ignore. We still have it ritually. It's still like a ceremony, but we have prostituted that as well, to be honest. And we had the judges and the jury system, and that was the civil government of America. In any place you go, you wouldn't meet any other government agent but the judge, the sheriff, who was an agent of the court, and the jury system, which was temporary. That was all. But that is the government system we're supposed to have. Outside of committing a crime, nothing else. The problem is we complain today a lot about what the government is. We complain about Obama, we complain about Congress, about the Democrats. The, the, those smarter among us complain about the Republicans as well. You know. <clears throat> but the problem is you can't beat something with nothing. Unless you come up with a comprehensive system of what the government is, you don't have to be able right now to enforce this system, but unless you come out and open with a system that is, uh, that is possible to apply, that has been applied before, and it can be explained in simple terms to people, you are not going to be able to do anything. You can't beat something with nothing. Trying to change the government just by changing the people in it is not going to work either. What you're doing is you're doing exactly the same thing what those Jews who rebelled against Rome did. What did they do? They rebelled against Rome, but they were in their hearts the same people who said, we have no God but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. And at that point where they rebelled against the Roman Empire, all they wanted to do is to replace Caesar with their own little Caesars. We don't want to be that. 
We gotta go to the Bible. We gotta ignore everything we have been taught by our modern system. We gotta go to the Bible. We gotta be consistent. We have to be so consistent with the Bible that nobody can tell us you're contradicting yourself. Yes, we, we have to go to the, to the past sometimes because the past can give us some good examples, but we gotta be careful about it. And in fact, we gotta be just like that um, student of the kingdom that Jesus talks about in Matthew 13. I wanna go there and I want, you, I want to read you that uh, parable which is very often ignored and, I, uh, and here is verses, verse 52. Therefore, every scribe instructed into the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder who bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and things old. The only criteria whether you keep that thing is not whether it is new or old. It can be new, it can be old. The issue is, does it have value? Right? When my daughter went through my garage to find out stuff that she could sell to buy her expensive camera, she wanted to be a photographer, the only thing she looked for was things that have value. We all do that. We go through our old stuff, and the only thing we pull out of, the only thing we keep, is what has value new or old. So when we think about what we want to take from the past and what we want to take new thing, we always go to the Bible and think, how is that thing's value compared to what the Bible says? Conservatism is not enough. Biblical worldview is what we need. Of course, we also need to be careful to not go into the same idea of we got to change things right away. We're not going to be able to change things right away. But we've got to speak about things right away. We've got to start speaking about them. And the first thing we need to start with is our own hearts. Are there any areas of our own life where we have submitted to that pagan, idolatrous, executive government that people can point to it and say, you're speaking, but this is what you're doing in your own life? You're using government subsidies. Are you dependent on government welfare? Are you in one way or another supporting any of those activities of the executive government that control other people? Are you complaining about your neighbors to the police, calling police on something that shouldn't be an issue that police should be concerned about? We need to start building around ourselves a community of free individuals who do not need the government who do not need any kind of authority and who can bring, who can organize a community around themselves entirely based on the gospel and on the law of God. This is where we start. Unless we start from there, we're not going to be able to build that to, to continue to our counties and to our nation. We have to talk to our neighbors and try to resolve the problems with our neighbors entirely based on ethics, not on power. You call the cops on your neighbors once and you're compromised. I know, sometimes it, it may even be justified to call the cops on them. 
but you still need to, but even then, you still need to try to find a way to avoid going to the government. There's always a better resolution than that. Now, I know there are extreme situations. You know, I know there are extreme situations. We gotta use wisdom there. But still, if your first reaction is 9-11, then you don't understand what we're talking about here. You don't understand the biblical concept of government. <clears throat> Not only with our hearts, we need to start with the hearts of our children. Do we teach our children to respect the right authority? Or do we teach them to respect any authority whatsoever? Anybody who comes to them and says, I'm an authority. Every time I hear parents telling children that, yeah, cops, we got to obey cops and, uh, you know, because uh, you, you always honor cops and, and obey them and respect them. And I'm thinking, what if the next time somebody who is a sex offender comes to your child in a uniform? What are you teaching your child? You're teaching your child to submit to that person. That's what you're teaching him. If you're telling your, ch your child that they got to obey an adult just because he's in a uniform, you're creating a concentration camp material from your child. Because when that same person comes and tells your child to board the cattle cars, your child will board the cattle cars instead of pulling a trigger. And I don't know if you Americans know about it, but we Europeans do know about it. We do know about the cattle cars. There's been too many of those cattle cars in Europe in the last century. And like Ronald Reagan said, freedom is always just one generation away from, from extinction. We gotta start teaching our children not respect to authority, but the discernment of right authority. That has to become the foundational tenet of our social studies at home. Not respect to authority. Respect to authority is not a biblical virtue. The biblical virtue is discernment, wisdom. Which authority is the right authority? Which authority am I supposed to obey? And which authority am I supposed to disobey? Which kind of adult is the adult that I can trust? And which kind of adult is the adult that the moment he reaches his hand to touch me, I gotta scream the, the daylights out of my lungs so that everybody knows there's a problem there? Which kind of authority can tell me, come with me and I will follow them? And what kind of authorities, when they tell me, the first thing I need to do is just dart out of there at a light speed. Our children need to know that. This is a new thing for Americans. This is not a new thing for Eastern European, Eastern Europeans. But for America, it's a new thing to teach, but it's gotta be taught here from the pulpits so that your children grow up understanding what the right authority is. And I just can't emphasize this strong enough. I have taught my children, don't trust anybody. I don't care what, what badge they care. They, they carry. I don't care. Just don't trust anybody. You gotta go to people that you trust. That kind of discernment not only needs to become part of our children, they need to teach their friends this kind of discernment as well. But it's gotta become part of them to, to such an extent that you see your children telling other children about this. Of course, as fast as possible, 
pull your children, especially the youngest one, out of the public schools. Because what the public schools, I mean, you think the, the biggest problem with the public schools is the bathrooms. No. The biggest problem with the public schools is the teachers. And not even the good Christian teachers there. Because all these teachers are teaching those kids that the lines are blurred. There's no, there's no line between the right authority and the wrong authority. They're teaching them that anybody who has the power to enforce his will on you is the rightful authority. And we already talked about it, that this is the pagan view. Because the pagan view is based on power. What is the biblical view based on? Ethics. Do you think public schools teach ethics as the foundation for power? What's the last time you heard the law of God preached from, from, from the pulpits in the public schools? In fact, they started long ago with that exact idea that we're not going to teach the law of God, but to the contrary, we're going to undermine that Christian influence. And when people tell me today public schools have failed, my, my answer is, oh no, they have been dang successful. You just don't know it. They have been more successful than you think. But they want you to believe that they have failed. And when people say, yeah, we're going to reform our public schools. They're already reformed. They're already operated, operating at full capacity. At full uh, uh, efficiency. And, and so on. The next step, of course, is our families. How much in our family? How much is our family entrepreneurial? And individual family under God. How much do our, does our family depend on the state and how much do we depend on us? That's a big thing. That's a big thing. That's got to be between a husband and a wife. It's got to be between a husband and a wife and their children. The nuclear family is the foundation for a Christian civilization. I hate to say that, but sometimes, but, but, but when Jesus wanted to say, you got to follow me, he used that extreme example of if your parents are trying to take you away from me, forget about that. You better follow me. I'm not saying to any child here, you're justified in disobeying your parents. But we all need to know that the family that we have is a nuclear family. A husband and a wife and their, uh, and their children that are not adult yet. When that child grows up, the family must be focused on that child becoming an independent individual. I have an article written in one of my blogs. The blog is called Christendom Restored. And I, I wish everybody read this article because this is kind of lost in America. It used to be a common knowledge in America. And the, the title of the article is <clears throat> excuse me, The individual, uh, yeah, individual Purpose and the Kingdom of God. Let me put it this way. It is not the past that will win our children for Christ. It is their future that will keep them in Christ. They have to have a purpose for their lives. And you as parents are obligated to nurture that purpose for their lives from an early age. And that purpose must include them and God and nobody else. Not even you. Okay? I know. They will love you till the end of their lives. And they will honor you, but their purpose must not be dependent on you. Their purpose must be entirely dependent on God. They have to have a future that is much better 
than what it is today. They have to see that future in their eyes. They have to go around daydreaming about their future. And that future must be created in their mind by you, the parents, because this is the only way to create an independent individual. They have, this is what I told my son when, when he was still young. I said, son, and I wrote that in that article. And I told, it, told my daughters the same. They kind of, they're smarter, they picked it up even without, you know, girls are smarter. So, um, so I told him this. When God created the world, there is 160 acres out there for you. There's a corner of that creation for you to take and develop into a civilization. It, is, it may be a small corner, it may be a big corner, but it's your corner. Nobody else is going to take it. And I want you to focus on anything else but on your purpose. Finding those 160 acres that is just yours. And build on it until you create a city, a, city, a part of the city of God. I have been blessed with the best children. I'm the worst father of the best children in the world. I know you're jealous now, but you know, but <clears throat> but that has been an operational philosophy of my children that they always look to the future. Forget about the past, Paul said. Forget about the past. The future is yours. And I want you to read that to your children every time you have your devotions. <clears throat> First Corinthians three. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. First, First Corinthians three. <clears throat> 21 through 23. Yeah, 1 Corinthians. This is what I used to read to my children. Therefore, let no man glory in men. You're not to be dependent on other men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death. And I want you to see this. Or things present, or things future, all are yours. The present is yours. The future is yours. What did Paul miss? The past. Because in another place he said, I forget about the past. Your children must grow up with that idea that the past is not theirs and they're not to be nostalgic about the past. There is future for them and they have to be dreaming about that future. They have to be reaching out, uh, reaching out, uh, you know, uh, out to that future. They, have, they must be working for that future. That is their individual purpose. That is the way you create people that later the state will not be able to take away from you and make into little idolaters like so many children around us. You will create independent individuals. Why do you think the government and the liberals are so afraid of homeschoolers? They cannot control them. They think for themselves. Why do they think for themselves? Because many parents among homeschoolers, even if they didn't know what I just said now, instinctively have taught their children to look to the future instead of looking to the past. It's a pagan thing to be nostalgic about the past. There's a glorious future for your children, and they need to know it.
Of course, the next step now is after the family, that's the church. The family must be future-oriented, but then we have a church that is supposed to be bringing to us a prophetic word from heaven. And of course, the American church is really working hard on it, right? That's a sacred cow here, but I got to say this. Before we touch the government, we have to porch the pulpits. America was not created in that legislative assembly in Philadelphia. America was created in the pulpits of Geneva, and the pulpits of London, and Edinburgh in Scotland. It was created in the pulpits in the colonies between 1620 in 1773, America is a country that was built on the pulpits. We, we won this country through the pulpits. We're losing it today through the pulpits. And the only way to regain this country again is through the pulpits. I think we don't have problems with socialists in this country. Not that we don't have socialists in this country. We don't have problems with them. The only problem we have is with our pastors. We have allowed people that are false shepherds to man our pulpits, to preach idolatry, to make us dependent on the state, to teach us to obey a pagan government. We have those pastors that have become, that have, uh, uh, that have turned the word ministry into monastery. We have, we have wasted billions of dollars. We have wasted billions of dollars in donations to ministries that have preached defeat, that have actively encouraged us to believe in defeat, that have actively encouraged us and, and preached to us and taught us to do nothing whatsoever about what's happening in the country today. And if, if I tell you some numbers, you will be completely devastated. And I will go there. I will have to tell you that number because I want you, those numbers, because I want you to be devastated. And I'm just going to use Baptists, okay? I'm not going to go to other places. Franklin Graham's ministry, like Billy Graham Ministries, $120 million a year. John MacArthur's several ministries, total of $70 million a year. Albert Muller, South, uh, uh, the, the Baptist, uh, what, Southern Baptist uh, Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, $40 million a year. We're talking big money there. And all these people preach is defeat and passivity. You know, there's nothing we can do. And we can just look at, those, at this fallen world and we can't do anything about it. But we could have spent all this money on bourbon and the results would have been better. Let's be honest about it. Results would have been better. Why are we spending money on these people? Why are we spending money on celebrities that are just as useful for us as Hollywood? Why are we spending money on people that have built their careers on actual learning from Hollywood how to be good salesmen? But all they're selling is investment in defeat every year. And then when something happens 
the next thing they do is they're not telling us what the Bible says about what we're supposed to do and how to overcome the enemy through the gospel and what we're supposed to believe in and how we're supposed to act. The next thing they do is they, they, they start shilling for some Republican candidates. Right? And then eventually, some of those candidates are not even Christian. How many evangelical leaders actually told us to vote for Romney? I mean, I looked at it and I, I was thinking, yeah, forget about it that you had at least one Southern Baptist guy in, in, the, in the race four years ago, Ron Paul, who had his statement of faith on the first page of his, his uh, online, uh, his, uh, what's that, website, you know. And you had that guy, we will ignore that guy, but we will root for the other guy who believes he's a God and he's going to live on another planet. Huh? These are our leaders that we put billions of dollars every year into them. Okay? And then they, they, they uh, you know, root for those and, and when, when, when they don't win, they say, okay, well, yeah, that's right. It, it, they're just going to hell anyway. Okay? We need to purge our pulpits. We need to go to every single church and look at that pastor. And if that pastor in that church is not preaching rebellion. He's an idolater. In a time when injustice rules the land, the only righteous sermon is a sermon of rebellion. When your sermon is not a sermon of rebellion against injustice, it is not a Christian sermon. It is an idolatrous sermon. I don't know how we're going to purge the pulpits. To be honest, I wish I had the answer to this. I've been asked many times. How do we purge the pulpits? I don't know. Something needs to happen. I know most of these pastors are heavily dependent, uh, you know, heavily focused not on the outcome, but on the income. There's got to be something to make them change their minds. Maybe if we start controlling their income. Maybe if we stop contributing to their income. I think we need to start. Because we're wasting money on that. We're wasting money on our own defeat. I don't know how that's going to happen, but that's got to, that has to happen. Eventually, we need to start working to help these people that are our future Black Robe Regiment. Those special forces of the revolution that the British were so afraid of that they burned churches. They didn't burn town halls. They didn't burn businesses, they burned churches, the British. Why? They were afraid. When Her Majesty Representative Pitt entered the, the British Parliament to say, and I know, you know this is about Presbyterians, but it still has something to say about how they viewed the revolution. When he entered the British Parliament to announce the news of the American Revolution, his first words were, Cousin America, has run off with a Presbyterian parson. King George called the American Revolution the Presbyterian Rebellion. You know, there weren't too many Baptists at the time, although Baptists were all joined the revolution. And we know that at the time it was the preachers who would preach rebellion from the pulpits. There's a book that you need to read. 
It's published by Joel McDermott at American Vision, and it's three sermons of those times, of the, ninth, of the 1770s. And um, I forgot the name. I'll tell you the name later, okay? And you can go to American Vision, their website. It's actually, the book is right there. I think it's on, it's, it's on the first, first page. But, um, and you, well, when you read those sermons, you're wondering how these pastors would survive today in our modern church culture. Because they, what they were preaching was rebellion. They were preaching open rebellion. No wonder that the British intelligence officers were after them. They were trying to assassinate them. There was a British intelligence officer that sent back a, a, a letter, a report back to his government, and he said, there's this Johnny Witherspoon. That is the whole trouble for us. It was, you all know who John Witherspoon was. Okay. Replacing them with the Black Rope Regiment means a total redirection of our stream of donations. Finding the right people, those who preach and support these people. It may mean that you're not going to get your money back from a 501c3 ministry because some of these people may not be even a 501c3. But you've got to find these people. And if you can't find them, there's still a ministry in Bulgaria. But we are responsible for building that black rope regiment. The government's not going to do it. The, the institutional church is not going to do it. We in the pews are supposed to build that. We with our money. And the next step is, after we've dealt with the church, the next step is, we need to start starving the beast through local action. Not necessarily taking over local government positions. But there are many things that we can do even without being government employees. One thing is your juries. And you probably, you probably get called for jury duty more often here in this area because there's not many people living around here. I mean, Houston, it's, it's very rare for anybody because we've we got a lot of people in the, you know, in the place. But every time you're there, you're in a jury duty, the first thing is, do not allow, because this is a normal practice, do not allow to be bullied into making a decision that is in favor of the state. If you have a person who has not committed any crime against another person, has not murdered somebody else, has not stolen anything, but is something that he has committed as a fictitious crime against the state, like he had marijuana in his backyard, vote not guilty. Don't get bullied. And that's got to be preached from the churches. Every time the, every time the case is an individual person, not against another individual person, but against the state, I don't care what you do. Vote in favor of that person. Vote in favor of that individual. Starve the beast. Because as a jury duty, we still have that power. Europe has lost that power. Okay, but you still have that power to force the judge, if he's not on your side, to force the judge to meet out a just sentence by saying, not guilty. I'm not going to allow you to send this guy to jail just because he grew a plant in his backyard. I'm not going to allow you to send this guy to, to ruin his life just because he resisted arrest by an officer. 
I'm not going to allow you to ruin his family just because he did some work without any government permission. I don't care. He's not guilty. And it's my right to say this because I'm the ultimate power here as a jury, as a, as a jury uh, uh, member and not you as a judge. Because we are America and we're going to keep it this way. <clears throat> Another thing is go to become activist and I got to connect you to a guy and you, you can be connected to a guy his name is Paul Dore. He is uh, I would say a specialist in defeating local school bonds. You want to know where your taxes actually go where you're really skimmed on a local level? School bonds. You know some local schools in some places spend more money per student than MIT. And you know what MIT is, right? This is like the top technolo technology school in the world. And some local schools spend more money on their students. How, they do, how do they do it? By school bonds. By putting you in debt, putting your children in debt, by spending more and expecting to get more money from you in the future. That thing needs to be defeated every time you can. Get active. Don't worry about who's going to be elected for president. It's really irrelevant these days. I mean, unless you really care for Trump or for Hillary, which I don't see how you could. <laughs> I mean, you, you must see something, some really minor differences there that I can't. <laughs> you know. But, you know, an old white liberal against a, an old white liberal. What difference does it make? But if you want to really make a difference in politics, your school bonds. Contact Paul Dore next time you have something like that. I don't know if you have that in your community. Okay, next time you have that, defeat it. Talk to people, become activists. This is where you need to become activists. Don't give them your money. Don't allow them to take your money. Don't allow, you, uh, them, uh, don't allow them to put you in debt just because your local school wants to have a fancy uh, a team or, or you know or a pool or something like that just defeat it <clears throat> not a place you can do that is influence your sheriff the sheriff is a legitimate institution only as long as he's an agent of the courts you gotta talk to him you gotta t talk to him about the biblical view of civil government he has to become disentangled from the federal government any kind of handouts from the federal government is something that he must reject and you got to talk against it. You have the right to go to your local sheriff and demand to know if he has taken any handouts from the local government, from the federal government. If he has taken any kind of military equipment, that is a campaign for you. That is a campaign where you can get involved and tell him no, return it. If you're a local sheriff, you got to return it. Another thing is, of course, New Mexico is not like this. I mean, in most places, like Houston is not like this, but in other places, uh, if you have a sheriff that has even the slightest inclination to ban any kind of guns or even open carry or anything like this, that sheriff must be ostracized. He must be completely kicked out. He is not worthy to be your sheriff. Okay? Judges. Your judges must be asked, are you going to apply, you're a local judge. What kinds of laws are you going to enforce? Is it federal laws or is it local laws? 
Because if it's about federal laws, we don't need you. We have federal judges. We want you to reject federal laws and only apply local laws. And if, there is a, if a federal law is not confirmed by a local law, you are supposed to ignore the federal law. I don't care how good the federal law looks to you. I don't care what you think about it. I don't, think, I don't care about your political inclinations. You're a local judge, and if we wanted that law to be applied in our locality, we would have voted for it. And if we haven't, forget about it. You're not supposed to enforce it. <clears throat> the county level. Every single increase in the budget on county level, excuse me, <clears throat> you must make a lot of noise about it. It must be rejected. The counties, all the budgets must be, I don't know about your county, but I read somewhere that there's basically no county in the United States that is solvent today. They all spend more money than they, than they have in. Are we complaining? We're complaining about the federal government. But we can't even put order in our own house, in the counties. And we're not talking about the big cities like Chicago or New York City. We know those are run by Democrats. Those will be insolvent. Eventually there's going to be trouble when you run out of other people's money. But our own local counties, outside of the big cities, good old Christian, Republican, conservative counties, why are they in debt? And why are we not doing anything? And why are the pastors silent about it? In fact, I've seen only one pastor that was not silent about it so far. When we lived in Florida, in a, it was a Methodist pastor in, in um, it was Okaloosa County. And he was speaking against these things. I got to tell you, his church was full. People were just flocking to his church because they thought, well, this guy is real. He just, you know, he spoke against it. We got to start doing that. A lot of pastors are afraid of it, but we got to go to the local governments and say, I, I want to know. I want to see your books. And if those books have the last line is read, guess what a pastor is supposed to do? You should announce it from here. We have a campaign to fight. At all levels, it's going to be a local action. We got to start from the bottom up. This is the biblical way of working. This is what Paul did. He started teaching people how to change their minds and to change their hearts through the Holy Spirit. Eventually, a whole empire, much more brutal and much more pagan than the United States today, fell to Christ. It took time. It took time, but it fell. When we start from the bottom up, we'll have that victory. At least our kids will have that victory. There's a book that you all need to read, and this is how I'm going to end with. Restoring America. One county at a time. Joel McDermott. God bless you all.